You're listening to Hear Arizona. Addressing issues, empowering our community. couple episodes of Unaffordable, we highlighted the challenges that the low-income and homeless population face as home prices increase and waiting lists for shelters and transitional housing continue to rise. But there are more barriers to obtaining affordable housing and getting back on your feet than just finding available units. If you're homeless, trying to find affordable housing in a job, one thing you might need is a form of identification a birth certificate, a driver's license, some form of ID. Rick Mitchell is the executive director of the Homeless ID Project. It's located in downtown Phoenix on the 13-acre Human Services campus. And that campus is designed for the purpose of providing resources from which people can end their homelessness. Homeless ID Project specifically is in the business of getting people the basic documentation needed to succeed. We're empowering individuals to end their homelessness by providing those critical documents that they need to end their homelessness. So people come to us and they're looking for uh, an ID so they can get a job. They're looking for an ID so they can get housing. And um, so that's where we begin. Sometimes it's a very easy process. Um, They've had an ID in Arizona before. They've simply lost it or, or haven't had it for a while for whatever reason. And if they're in the system, uh, we, we get in the system, we see that they're there, they're eligible for the document. We get provide them with a voucher that pays the cost of that, and, and um, they're back on their way. Sometimes they haven't had an ID in Arizona before, and that can be a little more complicated. If they were born in Arizona and they know all of their information, Rick says it should be fairly easy. It usually takes a week to 10 days to get a birth certificate. And with one or two other supporting documents, they can get their ID. Last year, Homeless ID Project provided birth certificates, provided replacement birth certificates for clients from all 50 states, three of the five territories, and several people who were born, citizens born abroad. So we do a lot of work that way. And again, some of it's easy and some of it's hard. Some of it's quick and some of it's long. Um, Indiana birth certificates right now, or as of a couple of weeks ago, we're taking four to six months. So somebody comes to Homeless ID Project, they need an ID, we got to start with the birth certificate, they were born in Indiana. So now what do they do for four to six months while they're waiting for an Indiana birth certificate? And what they do is they're on the campus because they can't get a job and they can't get housing without that. Um, Occasionally we'll have somebody that was born at home and the birth was not registered. And so that's a process where we have to work with the state or the county uh, to find records. And with the homeless population increasing significantly in the last five years, there's an increase in the number of people who are seeking IDs. 2021 was our um, biggest year ever in terms of clients and documents. We saw 13,000 plus clients uh, over the, the year 2021. We provided 8,276 total documents. That's a lot of documents. Basically, we saw 50 people a day and provided 30 documents a day. We also store documents for people so that if you're on the street and you have your birth certificate with you, you're going to lose it, you know, if you're on the street. Homeless ID Project also provides something called Safe Wallet, which is a little pouch you can hang around your neck and underneath your shirt. 
so that if a backpacker bags are stolen, you still have your state ID. And something that is helpful for many to know is that Homeless ID Project does not charge for these IDs or any services provided. Expenses are covered by foundations like the Thunderbirds, Bank of America, and so on. They also receive funding through Arizona charitable tax credit donations. The project cannot assist non-citizens, but for U.S. citizens, the success rate of getting people their birth certificates and IDs is very high. But pretty much everybody that comes in to see us eventually um, get, gets a document. And it's, you know, if, if they were born in Arizona or have had an ID in Arizona before, it can be quick. Um, but if they weren't, we still, again, we got documents, uh, birth certificates from all 50 states and three territories last year. So pretty much everybody that comes to see us is ultimately successfully walking away with documents from which they can get jobs, housing, and end their homelessness. According to Homeless Youth Connection, there are 3,000 homeless kids in Maricopa County. Rick says there's numerous families coming into the housing hub, which is the coordinated entry point for families. And as noted in previous episodes, the number of homeless people living in hotels, cars, vans, and on the streets is increasing. And in many cases, individuals just missed a paycheck, got evicted, and are recently homeless. So we've got to take action to get people off of the street, out of homelessness as quickly as we can. And for me, you know, going back to the Homeless ID Project, uh, the the ID is a critical piece of that because you can't go anywhere without that. So people end up homeless, they lose documents, they age out of foster care, don't have documents, they're released from jail or prison, don't have documents, fleeing a domestic violence situation, don't have documents. Let's get those documents so that people don't become homeless or don't stay in homelessness for any extended period of time. Rick says in the first few months of 2022, they've already broken records and haven't seen a January or February as busy as this year's. He believes that before the year is over, they may give out as high as 10,000 total documents. So we've talked about how to obtain crucial documentation and where people can find help in getting it. But what if someone is struggling to get to that location? What if someone needs a helping hand or emotional support before even reaching the Human Services campus? Well, in 2015, when Vivian Gellert was just 19 years old, she started a company that now goes by the name of Elaine that would assist in solving that issue. Vivian is a native Phoenician who knew she wanted to go into medicine. She started pre-med at ASU downtown, and part of the pre-med track is scribing inside hospitals and emergency rooms. While she was placed at Maryville and Baptist Hospitals, she noticed both were a revolving door for individuals who didn't know where to better access timely and appropriate care. Whether it was a homeless individual looking for somewhere to sleep that night, or someone who was a diabetic who needed their sugars, the emergency room was that place. At age 19, she looked around thinking there has to be a better way to connect these individuals with all of the resources that exist here in Phoenix. And I thought, what better way to do that than literally handhold these individuals to the resources? So we started a volunteer group of pre-med and nursing students, and we started purely focusing on the homeless population. So we went to the Human Services campus, We started a group called Backpack. Its goal was to incentivize these individuals to go and receive timely services and care by refilling backpacks. And it was tremendously successful. By the end of the year, um, we had 
served thousands of individuals. And uh, how should I put it? Uh, chairman of a large hospital system asked if we could expand our services uh, for their patients at their hospital. So instead of going to the emergency room, they would connect with us prior. And I said, absolutely, we'd love to do that. I wrote a really, I wrote a paper and wrote it as I would have for any other college paper, a health navigation transportation system for the homeless and underserved and presented it to him and his CEO. And they said, this is so wonderful. When can you start? And sure enough, two years later, they launched a health navigation and transportation service for the homeless and underserved and had Dignity Health as one of the major sponsors. Eventually, Backpack was renamed Elaine, honoring a substantial gift of the Herzberg family. Elaine Herzberg was experiencing homelessness when she was struck and killed by a vehicle. And then Elaine was the woman who was uh, tragically lost her life by the self-driving car in Tempe, and her family provided us substantial support to be able to get going, so that's where the name came from. And ever since, we really can't keep up with the demand. Um, and there are so many people who need this type of service where you're hand-holding and you're providing really a person behind a plan on paper. And Elaine is not just curb to curb. It's door through door. So if someone needs help getting to that appointment and checking in, Elaine makes sure they're physically walking that person through the door. But in a nutshell, that's really what Elaine is, is a person behind the system that is overwhelming for so many. Eric Barr is the executive director of Elaine. Before working with Elaine, he was interested in getting more involved in working with individuals experiencing homelessness. He met with Vivian for coffee to learn more about the organization. Eventually, an opportunity opened up to take over the transportation side of operations. You know, I'm, I'm kind of behind the scenes um, helping out uh, our drivers. We have a few drivers in uh, located in Phoenix and then also in Scottsdale. And so my role is really to kind of oversee our transportation operations, um, really work with community partners to help bring in support and let people know, hey, here's this service. Please reach out to us if if you or you know somebody who, who needs access to these resources. And so um, I'm, I'm kind of helping see oversee all of that. For Eric, it's exciting to see Elaine help and connect people to all of the different resources and important services they need to access. We really try to keep it um, open to um, services that might include employment. So if people need to get to job interviews or to and from work, um, food access. So if they need to get to the grocery store, if they need to go pick up food boxes, uh, maybe it's the bank or DES to pick up their checks or to set up a checking account. Um, the DMV for ID services, doctor's appointments. Um, we might take people to the laundromat to, you know, wash their clothes. We have clients who, you know, um, have, have um, difficulties um, reaching all different types of, um, you know, resources that whether they're forced to take public transportation or walk, um, a lot of times it can be really difficult um, you know, to either get to maybe a place like the Human Services Campus that has a lot of resources kind of built in in one space or just accessing different places throughout the community. For transportation services, there's a few ways to schedule a ride with Elaine. Um, anybody who's looking to access our resources can um, find information on our website at um, elaineaz.org. So that's E-L-A-I-N-E-A-Z 
org, and we have information on how you can, you know, call and schedule rides. Um, but basically, if someone were looking for transportation, they can reach out um, via email or phone call. It's a first-come, first-served basis. So um, they say, hey, I need transportation to my doctor's appointment, or hey, can you take me to the grocery store, whether it's day of or maybe a week out in advance. Um, we really try to be as accommodating as possible. Elaine's currently serving adults within a 15-mile radius of the Human Services campus. In 2021, Elaine was able to provide over 4,000 rides to 700 different people and was also able to help 26 different individuals out of homelessness as a direct result of using Elaine's services. According to Vivian, making a difference in the lives of homeless individuals can be done with even just a small gesture. People are listening and they're probably thinking, well, what can I do? Um, we're all living in weird times right now. And I think kindness and just acknowledging each other is so important. And when you see that homeless individual standing on the side of the corner and you get nervous of, do I give money or do I wave or do I look away? Most often the best thing is make eye contact and wave. That's a human being and they're not a light pole. And just say hello. You don't even need to say hello. Just wave. Um, kindness and uh, recognizing one another goes a long way. So if someone's listening and they're wondering what can they do today, that's just a small little thing or keep a pack of socks in your car. Um, homeless individuals need socks. They put a lot of miles on those feet. So um, and socks are a huge part of actually uh, good foot health. So the simple things matter. As mentioned, there are plans that have been put into action to assist the unhoused and those with extreme low income across the state. For example, the Maricopa Board of Supervisors approved $28 million to address housing insecurity for residents. $21 million will go toward adding 352 new shelter beds for people experiencing homelessness. Community Bridges will be constructing 100 new beds for homeless men and women. For the Tempe Community Action Agency, 80 new beds for emergency and bridge housing. For the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, 100 new shelter beds. And for UMOM, 72 new shelter beds for homeless families. As for the remaining funding, $4 million to rapid rehousing services and $3 million to prevent reoccurrence of homelessness. Individual cities are also working to help their low-income and homeless population. In the sixth episode of Unaffordable, Moving On, I spoke with Tempe Mayor Corey Woods about his plans for the city, which included new funds to raise money and additional apartment complexes for affordable housing. But in this episode, we hear from Christina Cooley with the Scottsdale Housing Authority. She talks about how the city of Scottsdale has voucher programs like many other cities in Arizona and funds to assist the growing homeless and extreme low-income population. Essentially, these vouchers allow private landlords to lease apartments and homes at fair market rates. But even those who have vouchers are facing a challenge right now. In the city of Scottsdale, we truly are uh, in unprecedented times. Our rents are raising dramatically. Our payment standards are not able to keep up. Um, and that is for those voucher holders. But this is affecting people who don't even have vouchers. This is affecting um, just the general public. And so for those who've always been able to maybe afford the market rent, might now be looking for affordable housing. 
which is depleted. And now units that could potentially have been used for affordable housing in Scottsdale are turning into luxury high-end housing. What we're seeing happen to our participants is either they're forced to remain in place and accept the gigantic rent increases that they're um, being provided, or they're being forced to relocate. There is very few new units. Those that are are outpriced. And then when you put in that requirement for three times the income, um, they are not able to afford that. Because of that, people are losing housing and moving out of the jurisdiction. With a lack of success over the past couple of years, there are participants from whom Scottsdale has been in partnership with for almost 20 years who have now decided that they're not willing to work with their program. And because of the lack of affordable housing units, the city of Scottsdale has been in communication with U.S. Senator Kelly and has asked him to write letters on behalf of the residents. And Scottsdale Mayor Ortega has written letters pleading that someone needs to step in and help work with the community. According to Christina, they're trying to think outside of the box and develop ideas to solve the growing issue of unaffordability. We, as a harvesting authority, we've partnered with the senior centers and some of the other agencies around um, to try to help relocate some of these displaced people. Um, we're looking at some more landlord engagements. We are looking to hire a landlord liaison to go out there and engage with the landlord community. It allows the city to increase the spending here when they have disposable income um, and they're not being over rent burdened. People are not paying 60 to 70 percent of their income towards rent. Increases spending within the city of Scottsdale. And within the voucher program, a family will contribute 30 percent as a safety measure. As their income increases, their portion increases. If a family's income decreases, their portion decreases. For people with a fixed income, what we're seeing and, and with our clients is about 80 to 85 percent of our families are either elderly or disabled and on fixed income. Um, so being able to find a unit in today's market with that Social Security, with that fixed income that they've received and those small COLA adjustments that they get every year is just outpriced. It would be impossible um, to do that on your own without us stepping in. So that's kind of where we come in. In addition to that, we do make sure that we are inspecting the units to make sure it's in compliance. Um, and we do hold our tenants accountable to follow all rules of the lease as well. Although it's a challenge, Scottsdale is working to make the changes and plans to get the city on the right track. All we can do is continue to change our strategy and pivot and do what we can to support our voucher holders current and those that we have coming up off of our list. Um, and as well as our community as a whole, by trying to provide as many affordable housing resources as we can. So for people who may be facing challenges with their vouchers, evictions, or whatever else the issue may be, legal services may be able to help. I'm Pamela Bridge. I'm the Director of Advocacy and Litigation at Community Legal Services. Uh, CLS Community Legal Services is a nonprofit law firm that represents individuals with their uh, civil uh, legal problems. Our focus is the low-income Arizonans. We strive to educate, advocate, and litigate on their behalf. It's focusing on areas of civil law. Assisting tenants and homeowners who are at risk of foreclosure is a key priority, so it can represent tenants in court. It also advocates on behalf of low-income tenants concerning rules and different barriers that inhibit their ability to live in safe and affordable housing. First of all, we, we do represent tenants in court. We're, you know, in Arizona, or most places, 
Most landlords are represented by an attorney. We will represent tenants and their evictions, but also affirmative litigation for habitability and fair housing cases. So we have the opportunity to, through those experiences, to see some of the barriers that tenants go through. But she said they also understand that sometimes these things are tied to other issues they can assist with, like unemployment or domestic violence. And when those barriers are presented, they try to advocate and get the word out to see if there's anything that can be done to remove those barriers. It's very difficult in Arizona. Before uh, the pandemic, we had an eviction crisis and we're making national news with the level of eviction. So um, when we get back to normal again, our normal is terrible. Uh, so we try to not just level the playing fields by representing tenants, but also talking about uh, are there rules, are there processes that we can improve uh, that would make the process uh, uh, easier and more accessible for low-income Arizonans. And we also focus on um, vulnerable populations, and also we look at the process through a, a racial equity lens, um, realizing that um, evictions hit our uh, communities of color uh, in a larger amount in Maricopa County than, um, than, communities, than white communities. Through the eviction moratorium, people were still being evicted, while many people have assumed that it stopped evictions. In fact, Arizona had the highest amount of evictions through the moratorium. And because of that, Right now, there are people who have judgments on their records in the midst of a rise in housing costs and rent. So low-income tenants are faced with um, increased rent and now having judgments on their records, which is another barrier to be able to find housing. Um, we're noticing a lot of landlords deciding to not just increase their rent, um, but also uh, to give tenants 30 days notice to get out. Uh, so this puts tenants in a really vulnerable uh, place because moving is expensive. Finding an affordable place is expensive. If they have a judgment because of non-payment of rent, you know, during the pandemic, that's another barrier to finding an affordable, safe place to live. Pam told me there were tenants who have asked for an accommodation and landlords were unwilling to give them reasonable accommodations. When things like this happen... She tries to help tenants with their fair housing violations. And when it comes to cases dealing with evictions... We can't help them find a new place, but one of the things that we can do is help them remove the eviction from their record. Uh, we may be able to work with the rental agencies to get the, the landlord paid whole and then negotiate with the landlord uh, to make sure the tenant's judgment's vacated. There are some cities who require the landlord to vacate the judgment if they accept funds. So if the landlord doesn't vacate that judgment, they can help the tenant make sure that's done. They also prioritize tenants who are in subsidized housing. Section 8, for instance, if a tenant has an eviction on their record, that is grounds to lose your Section 8. Section 8, you know, was meant for our funds from the government to help keep tenants housed who otherwise uh, would be homeless. Tenants uh, spend years on wait lists trying to get onto Section 8. They have to recertify every year. And then an eviction for non-payment of rent can or an eviction can uh, force them to uh, put their Section 8 in jeopardy. If an individual is on Section 8 or they're in subsidized housing, legal services can help them keep that subsidized housing. In some cases, the individual may have to leave their current residence, but legal services can help them stay on that subsidy. 
There are also certain cities offering priority to certain tenants, helping tenants connect to get those vouchers. So people shouldn't wait to the last minute to deal with some of these things that are going on, whether it's unemployment hearing, like notices they're getting or tax issues that they're getting. Um, maybe we also help people with debt relief. Maybe their credit cards or uh, they're getting notices of debt. These are things that we can assist. It's better to reach out the sooner the better um, to start working on those on those issues um, and, and so that you can move forward. We want everyone to move forward. And also, you know, we want the community at large to not think it seems that a lot of people care about evictions and affordable housing right now since the pandemic. But again, we've always had these issues before the pandemic. Uh, we need to start thinking of long-term solutions for our community. In addition to the services we heard about in this episode, organizations and shelter services like CAS do casework, in which unhomed individuals' cases are kept and examined beyond leaving the shelter. This means that there are caseworkers actively following the path of individual people so that they may hopefully better understand how to set them up for success. There are many resources in Arizona for low-income and homeless individuals that can be reached out to for assistance. The road to success may be a challenging one, but there's people out there trying to make a difference and lend a helping hand. To learn more about issues with unaffordability and the organizations we profiled, visit our website, hearearizona.org. That's H-E-A-R, Arizona. There you can subscribe to our newsletter and check out our other podcast series. Tell all of your friends to check us out too. They can search for Here Arizona on their favorite podcast listening app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, NPR One, Spotify, And since we're all about empowering our community, we want you to be part of the conversation. Follow Here Arizona on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. This podcast series was made possible by the Nina Mason Pulliam Charitable Trust. Here Arizona is a production of the Division of Public Service at Rio Salado College, which includes Sunsounds, Spot 127, KBOC, and KJZZ. This episode was produced, written, directed, and hosted by yours truly, Madison Mulvihill. It was edited by KJZZ's Carrie Fair Snyder. Linda Pastori is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>